Thank you for joining us today. I'm really honored to have been invited to speak at ASI, uh, especially coming from last year university. Um, but today my topic is creating value and making a difference. Because I serve as the Dean of the School of Business at Lost University, I will explore the subject primarily from the perspective of business education, especially entrepreneurial education, as offered at La Sierra. Entrepreneurial business education at La Sierra is, on one hand, very much like any other school at any reputable institution in the world. It develops courses and experience that help students develop competencies in management, accounting, marketing, and finance. For budding entrepreneurs, this also includes stimulation of vision, passion, innovation, and courage. However, on the other hand, entrepreneurial business education at La Sierra is very different from what is offered in most business schools. The difference stems from its foundation in the Seventh-day Adventist mission. This mission is to help prepare the world for the return of Jesus. It is to be achieved by the proclamation of the everlasting good news of salvation through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is to be embodied in the life of service to others as commanded by Jesus of Nazareth and exhibited in his daily activities. According to the Gospel of Matthew, he even stated that people would be judged ready for his return only if they have served others in this way. I will explore three major themes today in the context of entrepreneurial business education and Adventist mission. Creativity, creating value, and making a difference. Let's look at creativity. Human creativity derives from God's creativity. Creativity is essential for entrepreneurs. However, creativity is not a product of human development, but an innate, divinely given human characteristic. Humans creatively derives from God's creativity. The foundation for this lies in the creation stories of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In Genesis 1, chapter 1, God is at the center stage, directing the origin of everything through a series of creative proclamations over six days. This climaxes with the creation of humans. According to the stated divine strategic plan, these complex beings are to be in God's image. This means that in some important aspect, they are like God. We could explore the rich nuances of this idea. However, in the text to this point, there's only one characteristic of God that is clear. Creativity. God is creative. Therefore, if humans are in God's image, they must also have the capacity of creativity. Of course, while God is the creator with a capital C, we are creators with small c. In Genesis 2, the creation story focuses mostly on the creation of humans. 
Man's first activity is an exercise of his creativity. He is invited to give names to the newly minted animals. God and man work creatively together. God made, man named. Human creativity is valid only as it retains its relationship with divine creativity. In Genesis 3, human creativity, human creativity becomes distorted and misused when separated from God's creativity. The moment man or woman decided that they knew more than God, it led to the alienation from God and from the life that resides only in God. They became oriented to death and the world hostile to their lives. However, God did not abandon them, but activated a plan for their ultimate restoration. Even if diminished, the image of God still resides in them. They still possess divinely given creativity. That creativity would be necessary for their survival as they toiled in sweat to provide food for themselves. God works in and through human creativity to make people's lives better, richer, longer, and more fulfilled. Creativity is the heart of social change. Quantum leaps and societal changes have been made through creativity. Let's look at simply the development of money and of the priciest system. Beneficial relationship between you and I could only occur through the fact that we have a price mechanism. And the economics literature is filled with examples of creative ideas of creating value. Institutions like schools, hospitals, and churches mobilize communities for improvement. And we should include in this group the many good things ASI has done through the last 63 years around the world. Creativity is essential for social change. Here is an example of how students and lay members have used their creativities to mobilize and improve lives in a small village in Ethiopia called Kalala, way back in 2004.
That was in 2004. Um, Ed and I were there in Ethiopia, and it has some bad memories for me because while I was in Ethiopia, I was told that my wife had cancer. But God is good. And my wife still is a survivor and survives today happily. But let's take a closer look at the definition of creativity. The accepted definition of creativity is the production of something original and useful. Creativity is just not about inventing something totally new. It's also about making synergistic connections. But creativity is also about producing something of value. Value creation comes from ideas. People generate ideas that are useful by applying their resourcefulness and their creativity to solve complex problems. One of my favorite parables in the Bible is the parable of the talents in Matthew. Most of you know this story, and if you're a business person, you better know this story. A modern illustration of this parable would be as follows. What would you do to generate a rate of return similar to that in the parables of the talent if you were given just $5? Think about it. Can you multiply $5? The simple exercise was given to Stanford kids in the MBA program, and the average return on $5 was $200. And the best return to date has been $600. But what is clear in all of these exercises that we do is that you have to be creative in order to multiply scarce resources. Anybody can spend money. And the Zapporas are here to tell you absolutely they do. We give you money, we spend it. Absolutely. Anybody can spend money. But can you maximize scarce resources? to make a difference. That's the challenge we have at La Sierra University. Our students are empowered to use their creative skills to address the problems of global poverty. In Colombia this year, we are working with the Ministry of Action Social to help displace families through microloans. This is a government-university relationship. In India, we have started a cow bank in the village of Kurande near Pune, which has transformed that small village of 40 families. In Thailand, Peru, Mexico, and, and the US, students are using their creativity and business skills to find solutions to the problems of the world. And my most proudest project that's come from Lost University SIFE team is the Welfare to Work program in Riverside. Students train at-risk women to start childcare businesses. This nationally acclaimed program has accumulated community impact of over $15 million to the local economy over the last 10 years. Students can make a difference. But the key for all of us is can we use our creative skills to multiply scarce resources to solve the problems of the world? Creativity Creativity requires two kinds of thinking. Divergent thinking, generating many unique ideas, and then convergent thinking. Most people think creativity is all about just coming up with ideas. 
Well, those days are gone, my friends, because nobody values ideas anymore. We value execution. The part of creativity is divergent thinking and convergent thinking. Make sure you put that second component in. It includes convergent thinking where these ideas have to be combined and the best one be executed. So when you say, I'm creative, we don't want you just to come up with ideas. Anybody can come up with the ideas. There are a dime a dozen ideas in the world. What we need is to pick the best idea and for us to execute that to make a difference in the world. One of the examples I use in my entrepreneurship class that celebrates innovation and showcases what it means to be creative is the piece of dough in everyday life. Think about this. Take a piece of dough. You beat it up. You put anything in it. You bake it and you pull it out. You get pizza. Take that same piece of dough. You beat it up. Put anything in it. Put a thin piece of dough on top of it. Bake it. You get pies. You can get sweet pies. You can get pot pies. You put fruit in it. You can put chocolate in it. Put whatever you want in it. Bake it. You get pies. If you bake it first, pull it out, you get different variations of bread. Piece of dough, beat it up, put it in an oven, take it out, you can get different variations of bread. Take the same piece of dough, put it in an oven, beat it up, put it in an oven, take it out, and put anything on it. What do you get? Sandwiches. If you take that simple piece of dough, deep fry it, all the cholesterol, you get donuts. In order to celebrate creativity, I challenge the class to ask the question, what is the next innovation with this piece of dough? Here are some suggestions. If you're Indian, you should get this. If you take the same piece of dough, put anything on it, deep fry it, take it out, you get what you call samosas. And if you are from Latin America, we call it empanadas. But look and celebrate the activity called creativity. Piece of dough. Beat it up. Put anything on it. And you get some variations of what we eat every day in life. Creativity is something we would love to have all of you excel in. So the question is, can we measure creativity? And the answer is absolutely yes. The Torrance test given over the last 50 years measures the creativity of people. It was named after Paul Torrance. It's a 90-minute series of different tasks that psychologists give you. And basically, it's been taken by millions in over 50 languages around the world. The test is considered the gold standard of measuring creativity. And it predicts the creative accomplishments of an adult much more accurately than IQ or, any, or even EQ. Simply put, CQ is a better predictor of a person's accomplishment than IQ is. And we can do this at an early age. Some recent findings have shown that IQ, while IQ scores have gone up over the 10 points over the last generation, basically we're simply saying kids are getting smarter. We call it the Flynn effect. CQ scores in America are falling for the first time since 1990. In fact, in the age group K through six, this is very significant. 
Now you could argue about the reasons for decline. One could make a case that the number of hours a kid spends in front of a TV or the video games they play decreases their creative ability, and maybe even lower their CQ. I don't want to go there because I have kids that watch TV and regardless of what I do with them, I get challenged. But I'm here to argue the second point, and that is there's a lack of creative development in schools. In fact, there is very little creativity or nurtured creativity in our school systems. Think about this. Most educational systems in the world have the same hierarchy of subjects. On the top, mathematics and languages. Second, you have humanities. And way at the bottom, you have arts and music. Think about it. Why is this so? The focus, and we argue that the focus on science, mathematics, and languages limits our ability to be creative. Sir Ken Robinson argues this fact is actually very important. Our educational system is predicated on the idea of academic ability. And there is a reason. The whole system was invented around the world to meet the needs of industrialization. And its consequences are that highly talented and brilliantly creative people think they're not so because the things they were good at were not valued. So if you did poorly in school and if your child's having a difficulty, don't feel bad. They may turn out to be successful later in life. The key for parents and educators is to find in them their true passion and talents and to encourage their creativity by supporting their passion and the talents, not to what society or educators value, but what is meaningful to them. Recently, my nine-year-old daughter, Natasha, developed an interest in music, more specifically in playing the harp. Actually, she's taught by Sam's uh, family member. <clears throat> As her interest grew, we were bombarded with advice from my grandparents, uncles, aunties, cousins, and want-to-be family members on why she was spending so much time on music. You need to make sure she becomes a doctor. You need to make sure she does well in math and science. If she becomes a musician, she will be condemned to a life of poverty. And God knows the consequences. Now think about this. Almost in every family we have these kinds of discussions. If you don't mold your children in what we value in education or what society values, they are considered not gifted. I've had similar discussions at Lawson University where I've challenged admission people to say, if they have a will, let them in. And they say they don't have a 3.0 GPA. And I simply say, no one lit the fire in them in high school. That's why they don't have a 3.0 GPA. Let them walk in my shoes, in my school, and I will guarantee you they will walk through with the light of making sure that they will perform at a level better than what is there expectation in the marketplace. It is easy to put people in boxes. And I'm arguing today that our educational system and our educational reform movements 
are often based on what we call the fast food model of quality assurance, which is standardization and conformity. Now think about it. If you consider the concept of standardization, let's look at McDonald's or any of these so-called fast food favorite fast food brands you may have. You can go to any franchise anywhere in the world and what you see or what you get is the same food, the same burgers, same french fries, they look the same, they taste the same, they're about the same, the cola, the decor, and the attitudes are all the same. Everything is standardized and guaranteed. The other method of quality assurance is conformity. It's best illustrated by the star rating guides, like Zagat's and Michelin. These guides do not tell us what should be on the menu, when the restaurant should open, or how they should be decorated. They set up a criteria of excellence, and it's up to each restaurant to meet them in their own way. So you can be French, Mexican, Italian, and even Indian. You can be open anytime, any place, choose what you want, hire what you want, hire whom you want. In general, all you need to do is to conform to a norm that ensures quality. Similarly, in education, that's what we do. We standardize everything. We force students to conform to a norm that was built to train workers in the 19th century. Educational policymakers around the world over the last 100 years are guilty of producing workers who conform, who conform and perform without asking questions or the task, off the task that's assigned to them. Is this acceptable? Should we as teachers, students, parents, church leaders, and others demand more? Should we make a change in our educational system? <clears throat> Graham Wagner argues that the changing informational landscape of the 21st century demands that our students develop new skills of information. Information literacy becomes knowledge producers and an integral part of learning. John Dewey suggests if we teach today as we taught yesterday, we rob our children of tomorrow. And my favorite a Chinese proverb simply suggests, do not confine your children to your own learning, for they were born in another time. I think the next video illustrates my point further the world has changed.
Ladies and gentlemen, don't be left behind. And as an educator, it really scares me to try to train our children with tools that were taught to us in what I call primitive times. If you just look across the last five years in America and seen how fast technology has moved, you'll be shocked to see how kids learn nowadays. Around the world, countries are making creative development a national priority. In Britain, they have revamped their secondary school curriculums to change their focus on science and language to include idea generation and problem solving. And they use the Torrance test for testing to see if they did right or wrong. The European Union in 2009 declared the year of creativity and innovation, holding conferences, financing teachers, and instituting problem-solving methods in, into their curricula. In China, there's a widespread education reform to extinguish the drill-and-kill teaching style that was adopted and adopted to, to the new problem-based learning style. But the American educational system, India too, has been focused on a standardized curriculum, rote memorization, and national testing. Some of the challenges we need to look at. We need to transform education from the 19th century industrial model, which based on manufacturing principles of linearity, conformity, and standardization, to a 21st century informational model where education and human development is not linear and standardized, but one that is organic and diverse. We need to make education a personal process. We need to engage our young people to use their energies, their imaginations, to allow them to learn in different ways. And if we do so, we will give them a chance to meet the future. At Lawson University, we have tried many things to try to promote creativity into our business curriculum. We promote creative thinking about business problems through advanced courses in areas like economic development, game theory, new product development, and our capstones course on global poverty, addressing global poverty, encourages students to get involved in making a difference. We involve students in co-curricular co activities like those sponsored by SAIF, which fosters creativity and leadership skills. All our graduate students are required to take a course in social entrepreneurship. They're required to use their creativity to solve real-world problems. In our creativity course, Captain scores in the principles is our principles of entrepreneurship class that I personally teach every year to graduate and undergraduate students. A course that challenges students to develop and exhibit both analytical and synthetic skills on one hand and genuine creativity on the other. Students are encouraged to think, create, learn, unlearn, and relearn in different ways. We believe the 21st century learner demands more. They learn anytime, anywhere, and any place. Learning needs to be collaborative. It's got to be both internal and external. It's got to be both domestic and global. 
and both the teacher and the students learn together. Students use tools like social networking, blogs, video conferencing, podcasting, mobile updates, and they're always connected. If you look at the cell phone usage of kids, you'll be shocked. They don't make phone calls. In fact, my son, Jonathan, I think makes two or three calls a month. But he texts unlimitedly. He's always texting, always connecting to his friends wherever they are around the world. And you try that as an adult. When I grew up, I didn't even know what a cell phone was. For me, a cell phone, a phone, was something which had wires. It was connected. There was one in the house, and that's all there was. The other day, I was in India, and I was shocked to see the rickshaw driver driving, riding my, or taking me home because I wanted to be in a rickshaw to kind of have this nostalgic feeling 25 years ago when I left this country. Picks up a phone and makes phone calls while he's driving, while he's riding his rickshaw. India has learned to bring cell phone and the cost of cell phone to even a rickshaw driver. And yet in America, we pay almost 20 cents a minute. Try going through your, 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 your fundamental plan, your basic plan, and you realize the charges you get for yourself. We're the most developed country in the world, yet we provide some of the most expensive technologies. We must revamp our educational models to address the demands of the 21st century learner. Absolutely, we must. We need to make learning a personal process, and we must engage our students to use their energies and their imaginations to learn in different ways. So the standard drill and kill methods of teaching where the, student, uh, the teacher stood on top and basically said whatever he or she wanted, and you had to memorize it and basically drill it back or spit it back to the teacher should not exist anymore. We need to train our people to be more creative. The second concept I want to explore in a little bit uh, is, is called creating value, or what we call economic value is basically creating wealth. So creating wealth or economic value, I believe, is a vital expression of creativity. Wealth creation means offering people products and services they actually want. Marketing people call it finding a need and fulfilling a need, and if you do so, you will create wealth. Think of any successful product from the personal computer to the pencil. People have creative ideas. Markets bring them together to make these ideas a reality. George Bernard Shaw wrote that the reasonable person adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in taking and trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Let's put this in so-called a simpler explanation. Now, I first came to this country, they discovered something called a burger. In my country, India, 25 years ago, when you talk about a burger, we said, what was that? Come down here and you discover something called a burger. And I worked in a fast food restaurant, so here's how the burger came out. You took a patty, you burnt the patty, you put it on a piece of dough, you baked the piece of dough, put it up, and that was your sandwich. They did not want you to change from that standard practice. But soon someone came along and said, why don't we put some tomatoes and onions on it? Someone came along and said, why don't we put some jalapenos on it? 
Think about it. I want to burn your mouth. I want to blow your brains out. So what do I put? I put jalapenos in it. And so now we have burgers with the same patties, but different levels of sauces, and of course, jalapenos. The unreasonable man does not expect or accept what is given to him or her. He wants, he moves the world to his position. Who is this unreasonable man? Research has suggested this describes an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs tend to be motivated by the dreams of things that conventional wisdom says can't do, won't do, or shouldn't do. Think about it. Go to an entrepreneur and say, can you do this? You say, yeah. You sure? Absolutely. There's nothing I can't do. Jesse here, Johnson, is a very good friend of mine, and ask Jesse anything in technology, and Jesse says, I can get it done for you. And Jesse is an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs see the world through a kaleidoscope, constantly looking at different angles, seeking different resources, and finding different ways to address different needs. For an entrepreneur, everything is variable. Nothing is fixed. And assumptions exist only to be broken or challenged. So let's look at why entrepreneurship and why it's so important that we study entrepreneurship. We know creativity is vital to wealth creation. And entrepreneurs tend to be creative, or at least more creative than most people. So we know entrepreneurs have a greater propensity to create wealth. The political economy literature is filled with research suggesting that entrepreneurship is essential to a healthy middle class and for a stable democracy. If you don't have entrepreneurs creating work, creating jobs, you are really not going to have a stable economy, a stable democracy. Finally, we know that entrepreneurship is just not a mindset. It's a skill that can be taught. And we are proud that Lawson University promotes and supports entrepreneurship, especially social entrepreneurship in our curriculum. I've been asked many times by parents and even the ASI programming committee <coughs> to address the need of a business school in an Adventist university. I'm here to suggest that we are a global church with billions of dollars worth of institution, properties, and businesses, and we need qualified young people trained and ready to manage these institutions. I'm also here to suggest that our young people, we need to educate our young people with business skills, and we need to instill in them a commitment to the Adventist mission of global service. You can't get that education in too many places. And my good friend Dom, Don Van Onum is here from Southern, and I know he does a very good job at Southern too. In fact, many Adventists, to many Adventists, wealth creation is looked down upon. In fact, if one asked an Adventist student 20 years ago, what major would you pursue? Business and entrepreneurship whereas at the lower or the bottom end of their list. Possible explanations include business students who are perceived to have lower ability. Again, to my point that this is not something, they were not something 
that was valued by the academic society. And creating wealth was not an intellectual endeavor the so-called ivory tower people encouraged. And still others just considered business people and wealth creation, wealth creation as a lower form of life. And Don can attest to that, Don, right? I'm happy to report this has changed in the last 20 years. We are no longer bad people. In fact, business is among the top three majors demanded in the country. And if you're interested in business, we want you, I personally want you, and we are interested in you, and we want you to join our crusade at Los Angeles University to create value and to make a difference. But we need to also thank ASI for 63 years for educating the church leaders, members, and the vital role the business community can play in the world. Business and wealth creation is in the back room, was in the back room of the church. But today we stand proudly and equally with all others. It is with this mindset that I put forward the need to develop a theology of wealth. And maybe the ASI planning board can address this in the next session, but here's a possible suggested explanation. We noted earlier that humans are made in God's image, which simply means they possess a measure of divine creativity. It also means that humans have the right of ownership and wealth. In other words, if God owns everything and possesses all, world, all wealth, we who are in God's image may own some things and possess some wealth. For example, Although parents legally own everything within their homes, their children may own specific things like their clothes and their toys. God recognizes that some of his people through their own creativity, initiative, or good fortune will own more things and possess greater wealth than others. They should consider this a blessing. The Bible contains many stories of people who are blessed in this way. However, in the divine plan, persons of wealth are to help take care of, of the needs, needs of those who lack it through no fault of theirs. For the prophets and the wisdom writers of the Hebrew Bible, the plight of the poor is to be the concern and the cause of action of the wealthy. God blesses some with wealth, and so they use it responsibly to elevate the conditions of others in need. Wealth brings both blessings and responsibility. In a book, Councils of Stewardship, Ellen White wrote, the desire to accumulate wealth is an original affection of our nature, implanted there by our own Heavenly Father for noble ends. Wealth creation makes a difference. And creating wealth of value is making a difference. Creating wealth and value itself is a part of Adventist mission. Every time you create value, every time you, your creativity brings into being something that enriches anyone's life in any way, you are making a difference. Of course, it matters that you invest in projects in Ethiopia, Thailand, or the rest of the other parts of the world, but business creativity makes a difference 
whenever it occurs. I need to also emphasize that creating value is not the only way we make a difference, and it's not a prerequisite to making a difference. Anybody can make a difference, big or small, important or personal, rich or poor. You can make a difference anywhere, anytime, in any place. I'm simply making the case that business creativity makes a difference whenever it occurs. If you ask the question, what are you doing at La Sierra to help students change the world? I'm simply here to suggest we equip them with the attitude to create wealth and by challenging their wealth in socially transformative manners. The School of Business offers a distinctive faith-driven curriculum. It's the only business school in the world with required core competencies in business ethics, workplace spirituality, and social entrepreneurship. Every graduate student has to take all three courses. And we are proudly revamping our infrastructure thanks to a generous donation, a challenge grant by Tom and by Zapar to more conducive to creative learning. We proudly host the largest number of business students in America, the largest number of graduate students. We proudly bring these students with great pride to this new structure. 60,000 square feet, conference halls, 35 class, 35 offices, with infrastructure capable of supporting over 1,000 students. Ladies and gentlemen, the School of Business has an amazing track record of celebrating Adventist values, our mission, and education on a world stage. Let me repeat that again. We have an amazing track record of celebrating Adventist values, Adventist mission, and our education on a world stage. We have unleashed the creativity of our students. We've empowered and encouraged them to make difference in a transformative manner. Here is the video that makes my case. Our world, a place full of hope, promise, dreams, and opportunity. But also a world filled with poverty and devastation. Half of the world, nearly 3 billion people, live on less than $2 a day. According to UNICEF, 30,000 children die each year due to poverty. 640 million children live without adequate shelter. 400 million live with no access to safe water. And 270 million live without any access to basic health services. In recent years, we witnessed natural and human cause disasters, leaving hundreds of thousands dead or homeless and wiping out entire communities in the blink of an eye. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that our generation must take responsibility for. This is where change must begin, here and now. Right now, students from around the world are making that change. Over 1,400 teams involved with students and free enterprise are cited and reformed in over 40 countries, each finding new and effective ways to educate, change, and empower people around the world through projects using the principles of free enterprise. In the Monster University site team, we not only assess weaknesses and needs, but build upon existing strengths and resources to make a tremendous and sustainable impact to our operations. We seek to not only enact an increase in knowledge, skill, and ability, but also how that increase is applied.
I am utilized. In this way, we are able to create economic opportunities for others that often have seemed to be none. By developing long-term multi-phase projects, we are able to effectively use and combine the elements of free enterprise to form a stronger and more sustainable impact than ever before. Projects such as Welfare Work transform lives in the local community in Riverside by teaching more than 700 people over the last eight years how to start a childcare business, generating over $14 million in income. Project Law has impacted over 1,000 individuals, striving to restructure their entire lives in Ethiopia and assert themselves in the world market. A project began by sending a solar oven that continuously feeds 500 students a day. Implemented horticulture as a source of expandable income, and provided computers in order to stimulate technological growth. Now, in the second phase, we start with a sewing project, Kalala Scrubs, to generate another source of viable income for more than 100 women. And phase one of our Build Village project has shown what is possible when people come together. This project provides hope for those around the world who are needed infrastructure and human shelter through super adobe building techniques and plans made to start up and increase the sustainability of their communities. Each year, the site organization holds a series of competitions where teams from around the world present a report of their team's operations for the year. We took this as an opportunity to share our new ideas, operational philosophies, and even a new presentation style to show what is possible when students come together to make a difference in this world. Our journey began in the site regional competition in Hollywood, California on March 20, 2007. Each presentation round consists of a seven-minute setup period, 24 minutes of presentation time, and a five-minute question and answer period. In a competition process including teams from more than 840 colleges and universities across the United States, we were excited to join 140 regional champions at the site national competition in Dallas, Texas. On May 6, 2007, teams from across the U.S. gathered together to share their experiences and accomplishments in three days of competition. By the third day, only four out of the original 140 teams remained. The four teams selected were the teams from Heritage University, Drury University, La Sierra University, and the University of Arizona. Our team would take the big stage in front of thousands of students and 116 judges of the final round. With the validation of the judges, our Lawson University site team was overcome with excitement that we'd been selected to represent the entire United States at the World Cup competition. <laughs> the top teams from over 40 countries were gathered in New York City on October 10, 2007, to highlight their successes in the highest level of competition. The Lawson University site team continued to share their accomplishments, their new operational philosophies, and their stories with passion and conviction. The team made their way through the first round of competition to finally make it onto the world stage, along with the teams from Nigeria, <coughs> Albania, and Canada. The Lawson University site team was the last to present for the final round. It was now up to the judges, selected from all around the world, to choose who would be the world champion and all the site teams waited for the announcement of the results. Your site, World Cup 2007 World Champion, in the deep pond, the United States!
process even began, the students at Lofts University were already thinking far beyond competition. Transforming lives is at the heart of our operation, from idea to impact. We believe that the power of free enterprise has no limit to its potential. Our team was selected to serve as a representation of what students can do to change the world. We don't have to wait to make a difference. We can do more to students than we ever before thought possible. All around the world, people's lives are stripped of the very core. And that core is all we need something even stronger. Our team will continue to work to make a sustainable difference in the world and demonstrate what students are capable of. When you see what less than 35 Boston University students can do, imagine the potential for change by students all around the world. This story, this message, this passion is what our team took to the World Cup competition in New York City. And it is a message that will be carried on for years to come. Every time I look at the video, I challenge some of the notions people have about Adventist education. Our Adventist kids are as good as anyone else. Is that right, Don? As educators, I'm proud to let you know that. And this is proof of that. Our kids are making a difference in the world, and we, like the unreasonable person, are making the world see our mission and celebrate our commitment to global service. So finally, in conclusion, we have explored the potential relationship between entrepreneurial business education and the Adventist mission of preparing the world for the return of Jesus by the proclamation of good news and the performance of service to those in need. We have examined the God-given gift of creativity in humans and the lack and need of it in our educational system. We have reviewed the divinely authorized goal of wealth creation that motivates business education. We have discussed the necessity of using the wealth we create to help those in need and to better the lot around us. In particular, we have looked at all of this in the context of the School of Business at Lossier University, where students learn to create value and make a difference. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me today to tell our story. I'm not sure if there's a Q&A session, but uh, Debbie, is, is what's the next protocol? You got 10 minutes. I'm happy and open to questions. Anything? Byron.
not know how to manage. And this is one of the reasons why I'm here, to say you're on the right track. We ought to push for the PhD program in business management yeah. and creative thinking in the church. And Don and I would uh, agree with you 100%. Don, as most of you know, Don Van Onum is a good friend. He actually taught me everything I know. And, uh, but uh, Don was my professor about 25 years ago. But Don is right now Dean of the School of Business at Southern, and uh, as good friends, we agree 100% on what you're saying. Um, the need, there are many needs in the church, and I'm a very low-ranked educator, to, to have any political power to, to make your wishes come true. Well, I would simply say this. What we need is just not average performances. We need to challenge our students with the rigor the marketplace demands to make sure we can protect these billions of dollars worth of resources that the church has. Because at the end of the day, anybody can go through a business school. But to instill in them a value of service and pride in being Adventist is very important. And I think our business schools do that, and they do a tremendous job at that. Any questions, sir? My simple logic is, you know,
please, please do us. So we can change those names into modern soap. How do we marry your high education there with our low uh, approach? It, it, I have uh, a case like this. This is, a, I'm sorry, I'm not, <laughs> this is a case where we want to make that soap from aloe vera leaves, aloe vera juices, and a little palm oil, a little salt, not a, sorry, not a table salt. We have natural salt with all that. And then we make a soap. And scented, it is so good. Well, let me, let, me, let me just allude to one, one key aspect of, of the parable of the talents. <clears throat> and I think I made my point very clear in our illustration. We need to use our creativity to maximize scarce resources. Please note the resources are, not limit, are unlimited in the world. Everywhere we have challenges. So if you want to see me uh, uh, after this talk, we could talk about this. But you know, everywhere we go, we have challenges. And the question is, our rich people do not have all the resources in the world to help make every challenge happen. Simple as that. The question for us as lay people is, can we use creativity? Can you multiply $5? Can you use your creativity to multiply scarce resources. I hope that point was dropped through clear and loud because that's the answer. At last year, the Students of Free Enterprise gets no allocation from the university. Zero. For 18 years we've run this with not a dollar from the institution. We do not use your tuition dollars to make a difference. It is all generated through private grants, resources, support from, from people, and by students going the extra mile. Creativity the whole concept that I was trying to talk about is for us to celebrate creativity. We need to take creativity, apply creativity in everything we do, and simply not just keep asking for handouts. One of the best things in the marketplace has been in the new literature by the Kaufman Foundation is that the very nature of a nonprofit is there to justify their existence. And if you look at all the aid organizations in the world, from the book called The White Man's Burden, down the road, we have spent trillions of dollars on aid. The question is not more aid. The question is, can we discover in you the creativity to maximize scarce resources? That's the power of my message. And I hope we can celebrate that along with our university. And may I just add one word? Priority. It's part of your strategic thinking part of creative thinking, divergent thinking, convergent thinking. Priority is part of convergent thinking. We need to bring these ideas into reality. Convergent thinking. One last question. Just uh, two questions. Your school. How many students are undergrad? How many are graduates? We have about 250 undergraduate, 150 graduate school. Let me give you my story. I came to this country 25 years ago. I had $300 in my pocket. From where, sir? 
India, proud Indian, Americanized now. But at the end of the day, I worked, and Don was here, he actually, Don, you gave me my first job. And he put me in a small store, he said, this store is losing $30,000 a year. Why don't you run it? I'll give it to you in a lease that was what I call affordable. I ate one meal a day for more than a year. I struggled through my existence. Most people on campus didn't even know I existed, except maybe Don. But I'm proud to tell you, God adds zeros to your name once you stay in his strategic course. Amen. Now, the zeros doesn't have to be the six or the seven that rich people may have, but a zero to 300 is better, and a zero to 3,000 is better. And you then have to decide how greedy you are if you want to stop. Or if you're empowered and challenged like I am in the whole competitive environment of business where creativity matters. Who cares about making money? I celebrate the process of creating value. And that's the value system we install into our students. So regardless of where you come from, we challenge you to think creatively. Because creatively, if you think creatively, you can create wealth. I think the mindset is where you lose it. I have students from 42 countries in La Sierra, and not one of them who have come to my class says, I don't think I can make money, or I don't think I can create value. Because if you went through my class, and Ed knows that, as a Puerto Rican, he'll tell you this. He's been with me now for 10 years. Ed is a technical guru. Um, and thank you, Ed, for the presentation. He didn't sleep for three, four nights. Uh, putting this clear presentation together. But here's a Puerto Rican kid that excels in technology. Most people thought he was a lazy bum who couldn't stand around, who couldn't really do too much. But I saw in him the brilliant creative side that he has in him. And I celebrate that with him. In each individual are many talents that God has placed there. The question for us as education is to discover these child talents, motivate you, light the fire around you, so you can go multiply and make a difference in the world. Question. Last question. I have one question. I like what you are saying about your universe of Dr. Thomas. John, John, please, John is fine. All right, John, okay. Let me ask you, as my dear brother asked you, do we overcome? See, the church look at, if you're creating wealth, not going to make it to heaven unless you're a doctor, a teacher, uh, something that you can't be the director of the FBI. Or you cannot do this. My profession is I'm a speaker and a private investigator. And I remember when I, I told my wife one morning, I got up, I become very disgusted with the church. Not the way we do have the truth. I realize in the church of 700, we have a lot of graduates. They're taught to be doctors, teachers, and nurses. I realized that, I told my wife, I've outgrown the church. And she looked, what do you mean you outgrown the church? I said, I didn't mean it that way, but in business-wise, I have. And I remember one day I gave a seminar. I was able to convince the pastor it was necessary to give a seminar, and I love to speak. And the topic of my seminar was Lemonade Success. And the based upon, I saw my granddaughter, I made some lemonade one day. 
and I cut the lemons and I put the sugar in and I sweeten it and put some ice. So I saw her stand at me and I gave her a small glass. And my grandmother was standing nearby watching the whole procedure. Then I gave her the glass and he put it to her mouth and as she was drinking, the grandmother says, isn't that too strong? And she took it down long enough and says, grandma, it's only juice. And I recognize that if we cherish life, it's not too strong, it's just juice. And I made a seminar. But the thing about what I'm saying is making it sure, when the pastor heard about it, he and I had a confrontation. He said, well, I heard about you. Anytime you get up, you'll promote myself. Maybe you'll promote yourself. I felt a little bad about it, and then I went home. I thought about it. I'm actually, I can't let them do that. I'm a businessman. I like to create wealth. That's who God made me. But the question sometimes you feel is, find yourself alone. How do you deal with that? <coughs> I really have no answers, but I could tell you this. There's no university in the world or the Adventist system that has been challenged like Lossier University has been for the last two years. And as proud members of Lost University, I've been there for 25 years. My best years have been there, and I'm a third-generation Adventist, and I want nobody to tell me I'm not an Adventist. I'm a proud Adventist, and my doctrine has been documented today. So at the end of the day, we all belong to one church. The church is big, it is large, it has different views, because it serves a person called our Master, who is a God of love. And if you believe that God forgives and the grace of God can do million, multiple things, you will come to the understanding where our position is. So I'm not here to educate our church leaders. That's not my job. My job is to educate young people. The church leaders have the dollars to go back at the best consultants in the world if they want. I'm an average person. I teach proudly at Lancer University. I demonstrate to you that our students that go through our program can compete on a global state, can make a difference in the world, and show the rest of the world that we are proud Adventists. Thank you very much. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www. .asiministries.org Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.